This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another episode of the Bucknuts Happy Hour. I'm Patrick Murphy from Bucknuts and 247 Sports. And uh, for the second time this football offseason, we're going to talk a little hybrid basketball, football, uh, dive into um, what the the basketball Buckeyes need to do to get to the NCAA tournament. But we will have plenty of football talk on Wednesday. We got to talk with all of the coaches on the Ohio State staff. Ryan Day, all the way down. And that included Mark Pantone. That included newly hired James Laurinaitis. Um, so we'll get to that. Dave Biddle is going to join me in a little bit. And we'll go through you know the most interesting things we heard from that. But before we do that, we want to talk some hoops. And uh, one of my favorite guys to talk hoops with, you know him, Tim Hall, the Buckeye Show on 97.1 The Fan. Tim, uh, I've got a, not to rub it in here, but... Uh, I've got a Jackie O's Mystic Mamba that my ah. buddy, my buddy left four of them here, so I figure I might as well have one. I know you've got work stuff to do. What would you be drinking if you could be drinking right now? You know, I have, I still have some of the the Beam and Bone Zacid nice. Brew. Yeah. I've got a few of those. I still got some of these Rogue Brown Ales that we talked about. Big fan of uh, Rogue Brewing. Love those guys. Uh, pretty much every beer that they do. And uh, yeah, man, that's that's what I got. I still like you have a couple of the Christmas ales. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. I feel weird now drinking a Christmas ale. Maybe if we get a, I guess as long as there's snow on the ground. Sure. Not like it's not like leaving your Christmas lights up, is it? I mean, no. it's beer. You, know, you feel wrong that you didn't just drink them when you were supposed to drink them and get on with it. But I, I'll tell you, man, I haven't been. I haven't been crushing as much beer, which I suppose is a good thing for somebody approaching 40, right? Like, I I know that I'm not an alcoholic. That's a good thing. Like, that's yeah. uh, I've worked yeah. very hard to not become one. So there, there we go. I'm going to hang my hat on that. Well, I think a lot of people appreciate that fact. Um, and you work with Tyvis so often, and he doesn't drink at all. So maybe that's rubbing off on you. I know, yeah, but I do I do work with a lot of degenerates, though, where you would think that I would just be waking up in a gutter down some back alley of Columbus every morning, you know? Yeah. Especially like, if, if I were hanging out with you more often, that's probably where I'd be waking up. But Well, you mentioned the Zaftig beer. They're about to brew us a beer for our Manchester United group that'll come out tomorrow. So even more reasons. Us meaning your Manchester United group? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For that. Red Devils? What do you call yourselves? Uh, it's the Columbus Red Devils. Yeah. Um, but they're doing a beer for us. More on that for people who care about it tomorrow. We'll have we'll have stuff on that on those channels. But let's talk Buckeyes. And uh, I want to I want to talk hoops first. We're recording this on Thursday, February 2nd. The Buckeyes have what can only be described as a big one against Wisconsin, another team that has sort of sputtered through the Big Ten schedule this year, has dealt with some injuries similar. To Ohio State, though Tyler Wall, their guard, is back now. Tim, um, I I guess to start with, how important is this game in your mind just to get back into the win column for the Buckeyes, especially playing Wisconsin at home? Look, I, I'm an every game is important kind of guy. All but, right. you know, at the same time, every single season thus far – you've been fighting to adjust your NCAA tournament resume. You know, they don't have one at the moment. So 
On one hand, you can look at it. It's incredibly important because if they want to make the NCAA tournament, they have to win this game. You have to win any game at home, especially against unranked teams at home. They've already dropped a couple on the season. But I also don't want to I don't want to just dismiss what this team has done seven of the last eight games. So in that in that regard, Pat, I don't know how important it is if uh like they 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 beat Iowa, okay? Oh, all right. Like you beat Iowa at home, but what did you follow that up with? And I know that, you know, a couple of those road games at Illinois and at Indiana, you could have played good basketball and still lost, but you didn't. You played yeah. poorly and you got shellacked. And to me, that creates a worse feeling that, I mean, not, not just to me, to everybody. There's a worse feeling, a worse tone about this team. I don't even know. And I don't think we're going to know until they get a, a good, you know, four or five games under their belt here to even know if any of these games matter as far as NCAA tournament goes. I guess, you know, those players and the coaching staff, it should matter a lot at, a lot to them because every time you go out there, you're competing and you're playing to win a game. But this is going to be very, very tough. This is going to be very difficult for, for fan support just to tune in, just to check them out when you're an 11 and 10 basketball team and this is something different than than we've seen since the final two ugly years under Thad Mata which it was what can we say it was tough to you know find anything positive about those teams Pat yeah absolutely um and you kind of touched on and I know I I told you this beforehand I wanted to ask like what this team has to do to make the NCAA tournament I mean, we're getting to the point in the season. They still have, what, 10 games left? So there's still time, but there's some tough games that you would have to win to get that resume. And, and I think they're still, you know, sitting around the bubble. But to me, you know, I look at the schedule and I think, okay, if I go to win-loss, win-loss, and, you know, it's even hard to predict some of these wins, this may be a situation where they just have to win the Big Ten tournament to get in. I mean, are, are you to that point yet where – that may be their only route by the time they get to the end of this regular season? Uh, get back to me after they play Iowa on the road on okay. February 16th. You know, we'll we'll slice off half of this half of this Big Ten slate here. You mentioned they got 10 games left. Six of them are at home. But I – my, my gut tells me that this is not an NCAA tournament team just from the issues that you keep seeing when you watch them play. You know what I mean? There's there's something with this team where it's it's starting to affect them on both sides of the court now, where, you know, if you look at the efficiency numbers, the offense is still an efficient offense, but, you know, the, the, the Ken Palm ratings, they only take into account points per 100 possessions. It's not going – it's not going deeper into that and talking about which possessions. I also find it very amusing how Ken Palm has a luck rating on its website and it calls Ohio state, the unluckiest team in the country, which I don't know. I don't know what all goes into that stat, Patrick, but I mean, man, you talk about the Rutgers home game. Was that unlucky? I mean, not only did you beat Steve Peichel with the fouling up three game and you hit a shot from almost half court. And it's one that, if the officials looked back on it, would say it shouldn't have even gotten to that shot anyway with not establishing yourself in bounds. So that was incredibly lucky that you were able to win that game. But as far as the offense looking stagnant at times, it feeling like Bryce Ball where you saw it in that second half against Indiana, he was just like, dudes, give me the basketball. Let me go score some points for us. Nobody else can do it right now. Just give after it to me. Was, after he was nearly impaled at halftime by that falling piece of the scoreboard. God, no kidding. Yeah, uh, metal rods falling from Assembly Hall. Very scary stuff. And uh, it was really interesting how Holtman later talked about how he second guesses if that was the right call to even send his team back out there, that they would have just, fine, you know, down 16, give us the loss if you have to. But don't know if you just saying in five minutes, oh, we checked, it's good, if you don't even bring the scoreboard down or get in there. But anyway, I mean, back to what I was saying about the team. It just – it doesn't, to me, feel with what I've seen like a team that's capable of having this hot streak, like going 8-2 and two or 7-3 and three down the stretch, regardless of the games that they have at home. I mean, a couple of those games are, 
you know, Northwestern Michigan State, you've got Illinois, you've got Maryland. These are teams that have beaten you. Northwestern's a team that's probably very upset with the way that they lost to you on their home court. Right. And, you know, Penn State is even a good team. They took it on the chin against Purdue, but they're a good team. And Jalen Pickett's one of the better players in the country that nobody talks about. So I just, I don't know, Pat. I just haven't seen enough consistent basketball to put my trust in these guys that they can win the close games when they get into these situations again. You figure you're at a point in the season where you already would have taken some of those steps and learned some things. Yeah. And the last two games we've seen, they've, they've just gotten pounded, absolutely pounded. Yeah. Well, to go back quickly on the, the luck rating, from my understanding, and I don't know if this is exactly correct, but like, I think that goes down to like games you could have, should have won type of thing. And looking at, you know, like what was the game with the Bryce block at the end that got called for the foul? Um, you know, just close games like that where like, especially at home, things should have gone your way. I think that's kind of how that metric comes to be. And like, I think there's some argument there that the Buckeyes have been unlucky. I don't know if I would go that far as saying they're the most unlucky team. Uh, but you know, I don't, I don't make the metrics in terms of this team. And, and I sort of started to write about this and, and I kind of diverged with what ended up being the, the final story that I put out, but look, they've said the same things for about a month now. Um, you know, I mean, it's been other than the game against Iowa post game, pre game, all of that coach Holtman and whatever players are made available. The assistant coaches have all said the same things over and over again. And like, to me, eventually you either are this team that just can't win these games or something has to change. And we just haven't seen that change. Yeah. They beat Iowa. That was a team that doesn't play much defense. So they were able to get their offense going and, you know, they were able to attack Iowa's defense in certain ways, but I just haven't seen enough. And I, I had somebody present this to me the other day. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. Look, you brought in these four freshmen that are supposed to be the future of your program, maybe three of them if Bryce decides to go pro. Why not just roll with them more than the the transfer guys? You know, and, and we're not in practice every day, so there's probably some reasons for this. But at this point, the the leaders of this team, which include some of those transfer guys, specifically Isaac Likely and Sean McNeil, just haven't delivered at the level you hoped they would. So why not just roll with the the guys that you're going to have to go with in the future and you know see what you can get what what do you think in in that capacity I don't think that's throwing the season away I think that's trying something different other than just benching justice suing which has been the biggest change we've seen what what are your thoughts right yeah and I guess the other change would have been ice likely going to the starting lineup and making him a ball dominant player but like you said that worked for one game and Chris Holtman was even very adamant afterwards. How like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you can't go. The guy almost had a triple double. Don't go expecting that. And, and we weren't right. But I think there was some hope that ice likely, and this is a season long thing. And clearly in the very next game against Illinois, they tried to start that game in the same way, letting him kind of pace the offense. And he had some good looks. Remember? And it just, once again, it was, I ice likely who can't make a layup. It was just like, come on. You just had such a great game. We're not asking for that same game, but we're asking that maybe you can make 50% of your, you know, driving layup attempts and nothing was going in the basket form. So we were right back to where we were, where you couldn't really rely on any offense, maybe a few nice passes that lead to assists from him, which by the way, is a massive problem. They cannot dish the basketball in the confines of a rhythmic offense. There is, there are no assists in this Buckeye offense. Yeah. That's the problem for me. And that, that to me is a bigger thing than saying, Pat, just let Bruce Thornton get back to it a little bit. You, he hit, he apparently hit some kind of mental hurdle and had a little bit of a physical ailment. And then he started to get more minutes again against Indiana in the second half, just giving him the rock isn't the same as motion offense or getting some some more screening or some more commitment every single time you're in the half court set. That's just been sort of a hole that the Buckeyes keep falling back into when things don't go well. They go right back to just stagnant offense where the ball sticks on one side and it's just like, where's Bryce Sensabaugh? Can we just get him the ball and he can drive a little bit and put up a jumper? And then that becomes the offense. But 
I'm with you on everything you just said. Maybe Tanner Holden is another one of those guys. He's a transfer, but he has another year of eligibility. So you know, they were taking him out of the lineup because of length issues, but maybe you want to play him more because I think the the passion has been there from Tanner Holden that I've seen. And we know like what he did at Wright State. He just needs to get a little bit more comfortable and get some confidence up. But yeah, more Felix, more Roddy Gale, especially more Roddy Gale, more Bruce Thornton, as much of Bryce as as you can have he's he's definitely gone for me patrick i know he just acknowledged it for the first time yeah that per se isn't a player saying that he's gone but let's just let's just be realists about it we just went through the whole malachi brandon thing if there's a and especially when you're looking at a team that's having a really really rough season you could see more of a reason for a guy to just say all right like let's let's chase my dreams make some life-changing money and move on and start getting better at the next level. Malachi just had a nice 22-point outing, too. He's starting to come around for the Spurs. So I do think this is for sure it from Bryce. But let's let's play as much of these young guys as we can. Well, and I think, and Coach Holtman talked about it this week, you've started to see these young guys start, the guys that weren't already in the in the starting lineup, Roddy Gale, Felix Akpara, start to get it into a, a higher gear. I like what we've seen from Roddy Gale. and. Look, if if Zed Key's not a hundred percent or not even close to a hundred percent, more minutes for Felix Akpara. Look, it's a different guy. Um, you're going to get some different things. Maybe not the energy plays and whatnot, but he's six eleven with what like a seven two wingspan. And you know, Buckeye fans for a long time have been clamoring for a seven footer, and and that's what you've got there. He's not polished. His game isn't ready to be the guy. But, you know, if, if this season is going to kind of spiral, which it already has, why not see and, and Steve Hellwagon, my my colleague, uh, suggested to Holtman during the press conference, would you, you know, try and play them more even minutes and let Zed have, you know, take some minutes off if he's not able to get up and down like he normally is with the shoulder and the brace on the shoulder, which Chris Holtman said makes it more difficult for him to breathe, you know, split those guys' minutes pretty evenly as much as you can. Obviously, foul trouble and things play into that. But yeah, that's only going to help you down the road when we talk about beyond. Um, when when we look, you mentioned Malachi in the NBA, and I asked Chris Holtman about this the other day. Or I asked, I think it was Jake Diebler, actually, that I asked about it. The number of Buckeyes that are starting to contribute at a pretty high level, and I know Dwayne Washington just got uh, – waived by the Suns, but how much do you think that helps this team in the future to have these guys that are, are playing at a high level in the NBA and not just guys that are going overseas? It can't hurt. I mean, it's, it's tough to see it right now, but yeah, it, it doesn't hurt. I mean, I, I think you got to lean on everything that you've got to lean on now, but I'm more, I'm more just curious as to what's going to happen with coach Holtman at the end of the season is, yeah is the uh the personal side of it with with how the fan base as a whole is viewing him and the job he's done does it become a little bit too much for for what he wants to deal with i mean obviously he's locked in here for a considerable amount of time everybody's been you know sort of asking me to just fire the coach like every time i i come out and talk buckeye basketball but i'm i am frustrated that there hasn't been more done that there have been some very, very narrow missed opportunities as far as having that sweet 16 run or winning a conference championship, regular season or tournament championship of any kind. It stinks. I, I, I can't get rid of someone off the, off the first miss, you know, yeah. especially it's a combination of things too. It's the fact that you've gone to everyone. I'm not, I'm not saying that that should just be enough and that's our standard. Okay. Like don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not saying that that's a standard. We're talking about what would deserve a firing. There's a big difference between not meeting our standards and saying, "Hey, like, you know, we got to keep working on this. We got to take another couple of steps here." And the the extension is something that we could have a conversation on where it was without having some of those steps being taken. I I agree with those fans in, in that regard, but I can't fire you off of the first tournament miss when it's combined with a top five national recruiting class that's set up. I just, I just can't call me too lenient, whatever you want to call me. That's just the first one's free type of thing, you know? Uh, 
sound like an old promo or something. But after that, then, of course, what next year would look like if we've got him back, then you would definitely need to not just make the tournament, but get back to, you know, winning games and, and right. possibly make a run at a Big Ten championship. But again, it's I don't know. I don't know. And the Notre Dame job is open. We, we know of that one. Certainly. Chris Holtman, you know, despite what people think about him here, is still going to get phone calls. And for a guy that's that's made as many tournaments in a row as he has, which I believe will stop this year, but it's still what's that eight straight his three his three years at Butler and five here. If we're going to count the pandemic season as as a tournament run, which they certainly would have been in the tournament. So, yeah, Pat, you know, the stuff like that to go back to the beginning of the, the question there. NBA guys help. It shows what you can develop, shows yeah. you know that you can recruit some guys and, and get them to the league. Players want to envision themselves in those shoes. But I'm just still curious as to what's going to happen after this season. Like, does it just become – depending on how bad it goes, right? Yeah. Like, I think the next 10 games – you mentioned I don't think they're going to be a tournament team, but the next 10 games could have a lot to do with, with what happens. And if somebody does come calling and has a – really good offer and it's almost like a sidestep but a fresh start but still in a, a big power high major conference i i i don't know man i still i just i don't know what to say like i i well, thought this program would do a little bit do a little bit more by now they've been really really close it just hasn't happened my thing with with holman is first of all i think there should be more that he should be criticized for in terms of this staff. I think, you know, Ryan Peden, I think was a vital part of what he did. And I don't know if you really replaced him. You know, you brought Jake Diebler from the defensive coordinator to the offensive coordinator. I really like Jake Diebler, but I, is that the job that you brought him in to eventually do? I, I don't think so. Then you bring in a former head coach, which made a lot of sense at the time in Jack Owens but the defense hasn't gotten any better and not that, you know, not that basketball lends itself to great defense these days for a lot of, a lot of teams. But to me, there's, there's questions that, you know, Mike, you promote Mike Netty, who was an assistant with Chris Holtman and has worked with him for 12 years. You didn't go out and get somebody else. And I, I just wonder if we saw it at the end of Thad's run when the assistants and Steve Hellwagon's pointed this out quite a bit when the assistants weren't as good as they were at the beginning, and there were a lot of reasons behind the program falling off there, but when the assistants weren't as good, the head coach wasn't able to perform it. And I think in basketball, especially college basketball is a little different because you have to be able to recruit and that relies on the coaches. I think coaches can become a little bit overrated because the guys on the court are, you know, yeah, they run the sets that you install, but I think in all sports, you, you put more on the players that have to execute and especially in basketball, football, you know, you've, you've got to call plays. You've got to set guys up. I think there's a lot more to it. I think at some point these players just have to play better. And these the assistant coaches have to be better. And Chris Holtman has to take some of the blame, and he certainly has. No, yeah. I mean, Hol- Holtman's got to be better, right? I mean, he he knows that. And I do, I do think co- coaches in college basketball can – can make a big difference because you're getting more you're getting more time with these players right I mean it is a very tight group you got a guy that will usually coach guards you know somebody that will work with offensive sets somebody that works with defensive sets someone that will work with the big men predominantly so when you just have three full-blown assistant coaches and you got other dudes in the program like Terrence Diles and Nick Kellogg and guys that you know guys that played the game guys that had great success in the game that they can you know get an ear from or uh, that they can lend an ear to, but it's it it does matter, and I don't I don't quite disagree. I think it's too early to tell, like because I love seeing a guy like Nettie get rewarded for all that time spent with somebody like Chris Holtman. I love seeing a guy re- like put in the work and then have a chance to elevate, and you can elevate from within. I never really think that's a bad thing. And Jack Owens is a guy with head coach experience, and Diebler is a dude that really has has shown what a recruiter he is. And I just, I, I like him. Like, I can't quite put my finger on what it is with Diebler, but I just, he's got, he's got some kind of basketball IQ that I, that I really, that I really like. And this is just a, uh, but, but it, it is like, again, like for, for what the season has been so far, they have to own it. I mean, they've got to own it. Like, and, and 
it starts with Holtman, right? Because just like each of these coaches, you know, they get to work more closely in college basketball as opposed to college football, I think, and get more time with individuals. A head coach can have much more of an impact with each and every player because you're dealing with a 12 to 15 man roster and assistant coaches, just like in football, will come and go. So the guy that's the constant there, that's Chris Holtman. That's what falls back to. He can sure he can implement whatever kind of philosophical things he wants, right? Whether you're defending the inbound. I mean, he's gonna take ideas from his coaches. It's up to them to try to like maybe push him to change his mind on something. But the way he like fundamentally runs offense, the way he fundamentally runs defense, you know, whether they press or not, that's all things that Chris Holtman can up and decide, I'm gonna change, I'm gonna do things differently. And that I think goes back to what you were talking about, maybe not just a personnel thing. But if they were going to start to maybe change the way they were doing something offensively or defensively this year, just to do a little we'll see because you're an 11 and 10 basketball team right now and the season is going nowhere. What do you what do you think about I got to run here in a second, Pat, but what about the game tonight? Like, do you ESPN uh, FPI not FBI BPI basketball power index, whatever it is, like an 85 percent win chance? E like seven and a half point favorites. I just I don't know. I can't I can't stick my neck out there just yet. I, I just I can't do it with this team being off for several days. Wisconsin will be really upset too with how poorly they've played recently, dropping to 12 and 8. So it should be can make the same case for both. Both teams kind of frustrated and upset with their seasons right now, needing sure. a win. I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, look. I've I've said this for the last several weeks, pretty much the entire month of January to people that have asked me about this team. If you're gambling, which we can now do in Ohio, I would not touch the Buckeyes. I just, I don't know what you're going to get on a night-to-night basis. This is a game they should win. You're at home. It's another team that's struggling. Wisconsin doesn't play, you know, up, you know, they play good defense, but it's, they want to play this slow down pace. You should be able to get out and transition, run some. Doesn't mean that's what we'll see tonight. Uh, it, I just never know. You know, I thought after the Iowa game, we'd see a better performance against Illinois. It just didn't happen. And uh, it, it's an unpredictable team right now, unless you're betting on losses, I guess, because that's what they've been delivering. Will you be there for the first half tonight? Yeah, sure. Right. Will you grab my little media voucher for me? I will. Yeah, you tell Gary so he doesn't think I'm taking two, and uh, I'll have yeah. it right don't take mine, man. Like last I time. Take it. That's, I get, we get Stealing enough. My twelve dollars. Jeez, enough hard food. enough. All right, I'll see you tonight. Thanks for coming on, Tim. You know what? Can you get me a beer with that twelve bucks? <laughs> I've never tried get, that. That might be something you could do. Forget the meal. What? Wouldn't that be great? Were they Were they doing that back in the fifties? Were they just drinking beers, covering the games, smoking uh, cigs? Drinking Somebody brews. told me recently that the Dallas Stars, I believe it was, one of the Dallas teams, I think it was the Stars, serves beer post-game in the press box. There's just like a fridge that opens, and you can have one or two. And Beautiful. Beautiful. No, that'd be great. That'd be great. They had a, I think they had a beer fridge. Uh, there was a beer fridge at the Memorial this past tournament. It was Mark Leishman had his own beer. But then they were very particular with – where you drank that beer. They had it right there in the media center, but then they're like, well, get it out of here, you know, take it and then go. Like, all right, I'll take the beer and head out to the golf course. Hide my press, hide my press badge here. So nobody turns me into that guy's in the media. He's drinking a beer right now. Can't have that going on. Jumping in. Uh, I know you're not a big beer fan at all. Not much of a drinker, but you'd take a post-game beer in a press conference or a press box, wouldn't you? Well, I've got a story for you guys. So I was uh, covering, um, I went to Ohio State for two years, and then I went to Wright State for two years, graduated from Wright State. So my first year on the Wright State school newspaper, my first year at Wright State, um, I was the sports editor of our campus newspaper for two years. And we covered a, uh, it was at the time it was called, what was it? It was the Mid-Continent or Midwestern Collegiate Conference. That's what it was. Now it's the Horizon League, but it was called the Midwestern Collegiate Conference. And we went up to Green Bay to cover it. So I got to see like tour like Lambeau and everything. Wright State was in this tournament. And at this collegiate like conference tournament, they had kegs of beer in the media room. Yes. Not like, 
you know, I mean, like multiple kegs of beer. You know, you're in like Wisconsin. Like they they take the like the brewer stuff seriously, the beer stuff, which I love. Um, so yeah, yes. so so like like 21 year old me was like. Oh, I can't do this, man. Like I'm working. Like now, like old me would be like, why did why did you not get a beer or two? Like you're covering basketball, dude. You're not you're not trying to cure cancer here. You're just covering like a college basketball game. So yeah, I think given how bad Ohio State is at basketball, they should definitely be serving you guys beer at the games. I was gonna say, bids. I mean, start watching more Buckeye basketball. You'll be looking for those beers. I never miss a game. Like I love Ohio State basketball. It's which, you know. It's not fun right now, but uh, I do love Ohio State basketball. All right, All right Tim, get out of here. I'll see you tonight. Bye. If you didn't recognize that voice and you're not watching this live, Dave Biddle, my colleague at Bucknuts and 247 Sports, has joined us. Dave, uh, I see you don't have a beer with you right now. I am drinking. Uh, not yet. Mystic Mamba. Just one, though. I have to cover this basketball game tonight, which. Should be something. Uh, but we're going to talk football because that's more fun than than Tim and I's 30 minutes of basketball talk there. Um, yesterday, we got our first opportunity to talk to anyone from Ohio State since the end of the 2022 season. And we got to talk to pretty much everybody we would have wanted to on a coaching side of things, I should say, from uh, from Ohio State. It was Ryan Day. All of the coordinators, the assistant coaches, Mark Pantoni, James Laurinaitis, who was newly hired as a graduate assistant. I want to start, though, with Ryan Day. Dave, what was your main takeaway from that part of our uh, our time with the coaches? What, what stood out, the one thing that stood out the most? Man, it's so tough, right? Because there, there was a cavalcade of, like, great stuff. Like, right, you can use two. We have content for, like, like I'm not going to say years, certainly for days, uh, weeks. So I'm tempted to say the Marvin Harrison stuff. Our colleague Steve Hellwagon did a great job asking the questions. And then the story that he did was just real journalism, like stuff we need more often. But I will. So that's certainly in the, you know, you're talking about the hit. Attention. Yeah, the, the hit on Marvin Harrison Jr. That was that was overturned, like, which is ridiculous. We can get it more into that later. But I'll say. I would say the play calling situation with Ryan Day because there were so many questions about that. And again, there was like, you know, 50 different things we could mention that were like that really stood out. But I, I'll go with offensive play calling because, Patrick, I never thought I'd see the day where Ryan Day would even like consider giving up play calling. That's like what he does. That's like he's known for is like being like a play calling guru. And, you know, people might be like, oh, scoff at that. Like, look what he did against a like, excellent Georgia defense. Like, Ohio State's offense certainly did not lose that game. So, um, and that's just one of many examples. So, um, I, again, though, you know, I'm, I'm curious what you think about this as well. I'll, I'll kind of believe it when I see it because he did parse his words very carefully. He's certainly going to give Brian Hartline, the new offensive coordinator, a chance this spring to call the offense. Patrick, my guess is, especially with the first year quarterback, it's obviously, as we all know, it's going to be collaborative this year with not just Ryan Day and Brian Hartline, but Justin Fry as well, who Ryan Day talked up a lot as the run game coordinator, kind of taking over for Kevin Wilson in that role. Um, and it's going to be those three guys. I think the first year, though, with those three guys kind of collaborating, Ryan Day's still going to be the play caller. If I had to bet my house on it, I wouldn't want to do that. Um, but if I had to, I would I would say Ryan Day's still going to be the play caller, and they'll like ease Brian Hartline into the role. I don't think they're just going to give up like 100% of play calling duties to Brian Hartline. But, again, it's going to be a collaborative effort. So I would say that's the main thing that stood out because there were so many questions about Ryan Day and play calling. Here's my thing with the play calling. You're going to test Brian Hartline, who's never done this before, in spring practice, which is really all you can do. You don't get scrimmages and whatnot. But, like, how does that compare to what he does in week, whatever, three or four in South Bend you know, that's a whole different situation when you're in the press box, the pressure is on. I mean, it'll even be different than the first few weeks of the season if he is calling the plays that, you know, against teams that Ohio State should beat. I mean, they have to go to Indiana to start the season, but I just, I don't know how you gauge that. And Ryan Day had this whole little interaction where he said, you know, at one point in time, I had to call plays for the first time. And my thought immediately was, 
you weren't you weren't doing that at Ohio State like that. You were doing that at a much lower level. And to me, I mean, look, I don't want Ohio State to lose Brian Hartline. And I think it's great that he's moved up and been as successful as he has. But like to call plays for the first time for Ohio State football potentially is 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 a tough ask, I think. So if they could find some sort of hybrid way to do it, like you're you're sort of suggesting as he eases Brian Hartline into it, and especially as you mentioned, a new offensive line, a new quarterback. I think that would be the best approach. I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But Ryan Day works with Brian Hartline every day. So maybe he just knows Brian Hartline well enough to be like, yeah, I think this guy can do it. I, I don't know. It's it's certainly interesting. It is interesting. You know, and I, I think I think you hit on it. I think, you know, certainly this first year, it's not just going to be like, we're turning the offense over to Brian Hartline. And now, you know, um, Ryan Day is not going full like Nick Saban. He's just going to be a CEO. It's like, no, like he'll still be, again, in my opinion, Ryan Day will still be calling the plays mostly with heavy influence from Brian Hartline and heavy influence from Justin Fry. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong and Brian Hartline will be calling the plays and it'll be like, you know, Ryan Day has veto power, obviously, but will turn over a little bit more of the play calling duties. If you take Ryan at his word, they're going to figure it out this spring. They're going to see how it goes. And then they're going to figure out going into the preseason and going in to the actual season they're not making any grand proclamations right now like okay i'm just going to keep calling the plays or brian's going to call the plays and justin's going to call all the rushing plays so they're, they're figuring it out as we go but yeah the first year i still think ryan day is basically going to be the play caller with heavy influence from both brian and justin and you know i, I think you know it's it, i have a similar feeling that i did when like ryan day was hired as head coach it's like okay like Interesting, as you mentioned with Brian Hartline, it's like interesting place to have your first uh, you know, job as, as an offensive coordinator calling plays is at Ohio State. And I fully understand that Brian Hartline played here and was a fantastic wide receiver in the NFL as well. Um, but still, I mean, like it's it reminds me a little bit of that. Like, OK, well, all right. Like, but are, were you going to really risk losing him? Because I, I know there are other programs that are interested in hiring Brian, Brian Hartland as offensive coordinator and would have paid him what he wanted and would have turned over play-calling duties. He wanted to stay at Ohio State. I think it's perfect. I believe in Brian Hartline. I completely believe in him. We'll see. I mean, like, the proof will be in the pudding. But Ryan Day, he couldn't have a better, like, mentor as far as a play-caller other than Ryan Day. So I feel like it's a good situation for the Buckeyes overall. I thought it was funny, and, and we'll get to – these assistant coaches here in a second thought it was funny though that brian hartline was asked if you had to call a game on saturday could you do it and he said yeah definitely like no no pause i mean brian hartline's a confident guy but yes. you want to hear that at least that he's yes. confident enough that he could do it tomorrow if needed uh the thing that i and there were a lot you're right and we'll have plenty of content from ryan day and all of this but the thing from the ryan day press conference that i think grabbed me the most at one point when talking about the quarterbacks, and I tried to find this quote before we started. I couldn't find it exactly, but the gist of it was he mentioned needing a playmaker at quarterback and referenced CJ in the, in the game against Georgia. And I know Corey Dennis talked about, look, the difference between Kyle McCord and Devin Brown isn't as drastic as everyone has made it as one can throw and one's an athlete. Like they both can throw and they are both athletic. But I, I think – Maybe not so much in terms of who they end up picking, but the fact that Ryan Day may be shifting more towards, look what we were able to do with a CJ Stroud who was able to run for whatever reason. Finally. And yeah, right. And so, like, look, I think CJ at some point didn't want to run. He made that very clear. But I also think that was some coaching on Ryan Day. I mean, even Justin Fields in another program – Right, probably runs a lot more, and so I'm interested to see if you combine this that comment about the quarterbacks with Ryan Day admitting that in the course of a season he has to he tends to have too much going on, and I think if you look at the offense, it suffers because of that, and so that's part of the reason he's thinking about handing over play calling duties. I think he's willing to to be more hands off and let the offense the offensive minds on the staff have more influence, whether that's play calling or not. And part of that may be, look, let's use our quarterback's legs. If they get hurt and you don't want that to happen, obviously, but you're Ohio state, you've been stacking quarterbacks. That's what you've been doing. 
you should have if CJ Stroud, God forbid, had gotten hurt against Georgia. I, I wouldn't feel terrible having Kyle McCord step into the game as a former five-star prospect who's already started, you know, like, so there, it's not like you're a few years ago where if Justin Fields got hurt, you, you don't have a you bonus. Yeah, yeah, right. So I thought that was very interesting. And I will be interested to see how that influences things going forward. Um, any else, anything else quickly from Ryan Day that you want to point out for people that haven't gone back and listened to it? Well, just to elaborate on that, I thought it was very telling, like him like being very forthcoming with like I, I have to manage my time better. Like not that he not that he wasn't working hard, he was working maybe too hard, like not getting any sleep. Yeah. Like this is one of the reasons he's considering at least giving up play calling duties. Yeah, as he mentioned, as you know, Patrick, like he was saying, like in the offseason, not a big deal at all. Early in the season, not a big deal. You get deep into the season, everything they're dealing with, like it would be nice to like delegate more of those responsibilities. So Let's hope Brian Hartline can just take it and run with it if you're a Buckeye fan. So, uh, and I, again, I believe in Brian Hartline. I think he's going to do a great job in that role. But I found it very intriguing hearing Ryan just being very um, forthcoming, talking about how he's, you know, got to be, you know, more into time management and doing what's best for the program. And I do think if you go back and look at Ohio State, and obviously 2020 is in there, and that's a weird year, but I do think like, you start off with some exciting stuff early in the year, and then you don't need to use that against all the Big Ten teams. But like, look at what they were, how they were playing at the end of this season, and I think you could probably extrapolate this to other seasons. And then look what he, happened when he had a month off to kind of get everything in line, and then play Georgia. Like, I think if you if you are able to delegate, like you're saying, then you could be more consistent offensively that way. Um, you know, assuming health and, and things like that. The one other thing I wanted to mention about Ryan Day is the quarterback competition and the fact that he said he would like to have a guy not named necessarily, but kind of grab the reins by the end of spring. And he fully admitted that that's not the way Ohio state's done things the last several years when they've had quarterback competitions, even when it's come down to Justin Fields and Chris Chuganoff. Um, So I don't think Ohio state will name a quarterback after spring. I still think, that will will progress into fall camp, if for no other reason than avoiding a guy transferring. But I thought it was interesting that he he again another change in his philosophy that uh, he's willing to or he's hoping that a guy at least takes takes a lead. And whether he tells us that or not is is a whole different thing. But um, I thought that was interesting, Dave. What interesting? But uh, there's no way he's going to tell us, as you mentioned. No, there's no. no way he'll, he'll he knows right now who his quarterback is. I bet. Um, I would bet anything. He definitely will know after spring, and he definitely won't tell us. He won't tell us in the preseason camp. He'll tell us maybe about two weeks before the opener. He knows right now. Maybe not likely. even then. What's that? Maybe not even then. No, he'll tell us two weeks before the, the opener. Could you, could you see a scenario, just because we're on this topic, where the first – I guess you do have to open with a Big Ten game at Indiana, but could you see a scenario where they don't set a quarterback until Notre Dame? Where they play no. both those guys? No, I think he'll 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 definitely name a quarterback. I could see a situation okay. where if Kyle McCord's the starter, they like make sure Devin Brown at least gets like a few like meaningful reps to steal an idea from Jay Book. I don't necessarily endorse this, but I could see it happening where it'd be like Michigan the previous season where Cade McNamara was the starter and they used yeah. JJ McCarthy just here and there just to keep him like involved. I could see something like that with Kyle McCord as the starter and Devin Brown like kind of mixed in. But what do I want to see happen? Pick one and roll with him, period. And I think ultimately that's what Ryan Day will do. Again, I could see the other scenario happening where it's Kyle McCord and then you mix Devin Brown. Not a true two-quarterback system. Again, what kind of Michigan did with J.J. McCarthy and Caden McNamara in 2021. But, yeah, I want him to pick one and just roll with him, either McCord or Brown. Yeah, let's hope we don't get a J.T. Cardale situation in 2015 because – Definitely not a Stan Jackson, Joe Germain situation, Patrick. I know I'm showing my age, but that's the best example you can come up with. Joe Germain should have been the starter all along. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, Go ahead. Well, I want to get to the assistant coaches and for to create an image here for people that have never covered Ohio State. And most of you probably have not. Basically, they set up five tables on the indoor field and they had coaches coming in and out. So, you know, we got. 10 to 20, depending on the coaches, minutes with each. Um, so it was impossible to hear everything. 
I tried to move around. Dave, I know you moved around quite a bit. What were a few things from different coaches that stood out that you think the people should, should know about? Again, we'll have stories on this throughout the month on Bucknuts, but some things that you heard that were the most interesting from some of the coaches out there. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's like um, the the Ryan Day 40-minute interview, but like on like steroids and the team in the clear. Like unbelievable, like how like how great yesterday was. So um, I'll start. what's that? Props to Jerry Emig for getting that all done. Props to Jerry Emig. Yes, yes. I you know, love Jerry and, and Mike Basford. They both do a great yeah. job. Jerry Emig and Mike Basford. Love those and guys. they fed us. We got food we got afterwards. Free food. We were going to go out for food like afterwards. And then like we got free food. We we're like, well, um, we'll, t- we'll take the free food. And it was good free food because it was like what the Ohio State football players and coaches eat. We're like, yes, we will do that. Um, <laughs> so – I'll go with – I mean, there's so many things you can pick. I'll go with Mark Pantone. Uh, it's always interesting talking to him. Um, we get him about once a year. Last year we got him – I don't think we got him on signing day, which it really wasn't even really signing day yesterday. Um, but I think we got him like right after spring last year. We get him about once a year. It was very intriguing, in my opinion, to hear his takes on NIL and how that's affecting Ohio State. He feels like they're doing a great job retaining their players – and I could not agree with that more. They're doing a fantastic job of retaining their players. I don't think people are talking about that enough. Look at the guys that have entered the portal so far, probably mostly guys that were not in the plans. I'm sure more guys are going to leave after spring, probably guys that won't be in the plans. So I think it says a lot that uh, what they're doing with their current players. Now, incoming recruits, different story. Uh, again, I love the candor from Mark Pantone about this, just flat out saying this is not what NIL was intended to be was you know paying players to come here as recruits. That's not what it's supposed to be. And he said, I'm raising my hand and I'm willing to help any way we can. We have a lot of smart people in this, in this industry. We can get together and figure it out. I asked him about the SI report a few days ago from Ross Dellinger that finally the NCAA is going to crack down on this. I'm like, it's got to make you feel good. He said, yeah, yeah. Assuming it actually happens. <laughs> you know, he's, he's like, he's taking a wait and see mode, which I understand. So out of the million things we could talk about, James Laurinaitis, I was having, being an old guy on the beat. I was having flashbacks to interviewing number 33 when he was a linebacker for the Buckeyes. I was so cool getting to interview James yesterday inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center with his picture behind us as an All-American. He didn't have that when we were interviewing him back in the day. That was a new addition. But I'll go with Mark Cantoni hearing his thoughts on NIL, hearing his thoughts on Ohio State now being more focused on recruiting the Midwest, Ohio guys, you know, they're still going to recruit nationally, but they feel like, you know, with the Midwest guys, there's like a little bit less of a, and he made the point, like, it's not just about where you're from, but it's like with the Midwest guys, there's a little bit less of a chance you're going to lose them due to NIL. And he said, if we know from the get, now that we've been through this for a year, if we know from the get that this ex recruit, that NIL is like the main thing in his recruitment, they might back off now, which they didn't this past year. If it's the main thing, because they know they're fighting a losing battle. You're fighting with, I would say, one arm behind your back. It's more like both arms behind your back, and you can just headbutt maybe, like at the bare, at the very best, because you've got other schools through their collectives that are buying recruits. So it's two-pronged. I think Ohio State's doing a great job with retaining their players through NIL, but it was interesting to hear Mark Pantone talk about other teams buying recruits through NIL and how Ohio State really can't keep up right now. Let me ask you – and I didn't plan on talking about this, but since we're on the topic, I do think there's value in getting Midwest Ohio guys and more of them. I think those guys care about things like the Michigan game more. I think they care about the program as a whole. So I think there is value in that. You saw it under Jim Tressel. But if you are going after fewer of some of the elite, elite guys that may be NIL-focused, do you think that has an ultimate down-the-road effect on the Buckeyes' ability in the college football playoff when you're playing a team like a Georgia, an Alabama, whoever it may be, that is doing that and is able to get more of these elite guys in terms of high school recruits because of where they are and because of the NIL? Do you think that will have an effect down the road? It absolutely could. You know, I, I do think they're going to get this straightened out. It sounds like there's a lot of momentum because you have a lot of people like Mark Pantone, who I think is in the majority that wants to get some guardrails in place. But in the meantime, yeah, I mean, there could be a ripple effect where we look back and it's like, well, you know, Ohio State's recruiting still good, but is it as elite as it would be? I think we all know there are certain recruits they would have landed 
in this 2023 cycle, if not for NIL, that these kids wanted to go to Ohio State. But they were basically, I don't even fault the kids. They were offered like deals they almost couldn't refuse. Um, we don't need to get in specifics. But um, so, yeah, there could be a ripple effect. But, the you know, the good thing for Ohio State is the transfer portal. You know, if they need to fill needs, I think they're going to do a good job of doing that. We're seeing that already this year. But, yeah, to answer your question, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, you can fall behind fast in recruiting. Um, and they've got to get this figured out. It needs to be equitable somehow where, you know, obviously certain schools are going to skirt the rules that's happened since the beginning of time. But yeah. as far as NIL, we have to get some guardrails in place. If you want to read more about what Mark Pantone said, see the whole video. Uh, Dave posted the story this morning, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, on that. So that's up on Bucknuts. If, if you haven't heard Mark's comments or read Mark's comments, couple things that stood out to me, and, and I want to get your take on each of them. Um, Jim Knowles, defensive coordinator, was asked about, you know, these, these last few games and, the you know, if you change much about Ohio State's defense. And he is not in panic mode. Um, I, it, from what he said, it sounds like he thinks that, yeah, there's things that he needs to do better as a play caller and as a defensive coordinator, but that, like, year one, they did – pretty well and made some progress, but that this off season with guys that know the the players or know the coaches, know the scheme, other guys will step in guys. He's started to recruit and his staff has started to recruit that there doesn't need to be like these, these wholesale changes. And I think, you know, that's the difference between fans, even us sometimes and the coaches when, when they're able to take a bit of a more rational view about it, especially when you step back after the game, but what, what do you think of that idea that, look, this, this was year one of a defense that is going, was going to take some time to build, and there were steps, but you know, are, are you in the mind that there needs to be major changes to what Jim Knowles does, or, or do you think that the patience and continued work is the right, right steps? Well, I'm glad he's getting a second year. I was not in the fire Knowles camp at all. Now, the last two games were terrible. You can't have that happen. Maybe you could say the Michigan game was a little fluky with some of the big plays. Um, not all of them, but uh, maybe some of them. But, I mean, you can't have that happen in two games. That's not fluky at that point, giving up that many points and that many yards in the two biggest games of the year. Um, and I love an aggressive defense, so I cannot believe I'm saying this, but he needs to back off the throttle a little bit here and there. Like, he's known for mixing things up. It was like, but he got like a, like over aggressive, you know, like get too aggressive. So again, I love an aggressive defense. I go back to the, you know, the beginning of the silver bullets era when they moved from Bill Young in 1995 to Fred Pugich in 96, basically the same players, but they were getting after you all of a sudden. That was when the silver bullets were born in 1996. And it reminded me of going from like night, you know, 2018 to 2019. We saw Greg Shiano's last year at Ohio state, basically the same players, Chase Young and all those guys, Jeff Halfley takes over in 2019 number one total defense in the country. So, you know, coaching can make a huge difference. J did Jim Knowles improve the defense? Yes. Um, and I, I still believe in him. I also like the fact that Ryan Day went out and got James Laurinaitis, who, for those that don't know, he's not really a grad assistant. He's the linebackers coach. Like, he made that clear. He's, the he's running the linebackers room right. I mean, and there's restrictions, yeah. minor restrictions as far as being like a grad assistant. Like, you can recruit. You just can't go on the road and recruit. You can call recruits. But James Laurinaitis is the linebacker's coach. They also brought on, I think, a really good grad assistant on the defensive line. So there's been some, like, well, James Laurinaitis has not been low-key, but there's been some <laughs> – that's been a very uh, well-publicized and rightfully so. But there's been some low-key additions to the staff. Um, yeah, so I do think in big situations they'll mix it up more next year, Patrick, as far as, like, being over-aggressive. I still believe in Jim Knowles and his defense. Um but what happened those last two games was just – it's still hard to stomach because all they needed – the offense did what it needed to do against Georgia and then some. Now, the offense against Michigan did not do what it needed to do overall. Sure. Um, but against Georgia, obviously it did, and the defense let it down. You can't have Lathan Ransom out there against, you know, like a 4-3 wide receiver. He's a safety. He's not an elite corner. Even an elite corner in that situation, you're taking a chance. Even if you have your number one corner out there playing zero coverage – you're up by 11 in the fourth quarter with eight minutes left. That's the time to maybe back off a little bit. And again, I'm saying this as a guy who loves like aggressive defenses. So, um, but you've got to mix it up more. And I think they will this coming year. Side note, just to go back, we were talking about Ohio State in-state recruiting. Our friend Marcus Hartman from the Dayton Daily News just tweeted out this graphic of um, Ohio State's in-state recruiting since 1988. And you can 
go take a look at it on Marcus's Twitter. But uh, Ryan Day has recruited 32 Ohioans, which is roughly 6.4 per year. The rank average is nationally sixth. Um, Urban Meyer, 69 Ohioans. Trestle, 134. Cooper, 163. So just, you know, since we were talking about that and it popped up, I think that number will start to jump, as you were saying, from, from what Mark Pantone said, which just an interesting uh, little graphic there that Marcus found. But um, you, you touched on James Laurinaitis, and I only caught the tail end of his time with the media. I went back and listened to some of it, but haven't gotten through the whole thing yet. But just so impressive. And I mean, like, not surprising. He was right. a star linebacker here at Ohio State. He was great in the NFL for my St. Louis Rams. Um, and then he obviously did a great job on local radio and on Big Ten Network. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised by this. But, like, when that guy gets talking football – and I stood there and talked with him for a few minutes afterwards just because he was talking about how coaching a play different players is different. Like, one guy may have this level of knowledge, and so you have to – you can't come in with the James Laurinaitis level of, of knowledge for every young guy. Like, so I asked him about, does, does the fact that you were on TV and kind of had to dumb it down to the basic level. And he was like, yeah, I basically would consider I was talking to my wife's friends that don't watch football. Like not even my wife who watches some football, but then he started to go and he's, it was kind of like the first time we met with Jim Knowles and he like stood up and started moving around and things like that. Like James was, was uh, like talking about where linebackers line up and how it affects the linemen. And like, this is just him and I standing there talking. Like this isn't a press conference. There's no one else around. And you can just see that this guy, A, gets it, and B, is is able to coach it. And that's not always a thing that you can do from a really good player. I mean, we've seen really good players fail in the coaching profession. But one thing that stood out to me um, aside from that was – Ryan Day was a bit hesitant to hire him at first, it sounds like. Wasn't sure he really wanted to be a coach. Uh, you know James a bit from the time with that you do with the fan. Just what are your impressions? How, how did he come off in, in your mind? He came off absolutely fantastic, as you said. I mean, and again, no surprise. He was always, when he was 18 years old, you're like, wow, this guy's – this guy's impressive, you know, and um, no surprise at all. I'm just thrilled that, that this happened. I mean, I, when he left for Notre Dame, you know, it wasn't like, I mean, him and his wife, and, and they sold their house here in Columbus. He talked about this yesterday. I mean, this was not like a, I'm going to go to Notre Dame maybe for a year or two and come back to Columbus. This was like, they, he was thinking that that was like a permanent move, perhaps, you know, maybe not always in South Bend, but he was going to move his way up. And yeah, I think some, I think, I don't think it was anything. From what I've been told, I don't think it was anything like, there wasn't like a huge falling out between Ryan Day and James Laurinaitis. Might have been some miscommunication. It wasn't anything too serious, but they needed to talk, and they did, and it was Ryan Day reaching out to him. And I'm just thrilled it happened. It just makes so much sense. I believe that James Laurinaitis is going to be the defensive version of what Brian Hartline has been to the offensive recruiting. And I know that's saying a tremendous amount. Brian Hartline has established himself as the best wide receivers coach and the best wide receivers recruiter in the country, in my opinion. Now he's the offensive coordinator. But I think James Laurinaitis can be there. Like you said, he's – He's got the charisma. He's got the knowledge. He's got the people skills. He's got the entire package and um, could not be more thrilled about it. I think it's a great situation for Ohio State. Absolutely. All right. I know you've got uh, kids to pick up and all those things that the daddy responsibilities. Thanks, Dave. Uh, I appreciate it. I could not get to everybody. So your insight on what we got to do yesterday was great. Uh, Like I said, Dave's already posted some stuff on the site. So go check that out. And, uh, Dave, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for coming on the happy hour. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate it. Thanks, Patrick. All right. See ya. Thanks to Dave and Timmy for coming on and and talking. Uh, There's a few more things I wanted to hit on that we didn't get to with Dave uh, that came from Wednesday's talking with the assistant coaches. And again, if you want to listen back, it, it would take some time to listen back, but we've got video on the Bucknuts YouTube page, which some of you are on right now watching this. But uh, you can go back and watch our videos with the coaches. I don't think we got everything just because there were so many guys talking at once, but we got a good amount of it. So if, you, if you're interested in that and want to hear what the coaches had to say, it's all available up there on the YouTube page. But a couple things I just wanted to hit on before we wrap this episode of the happy hour up. Uh, offensive line, 
Justin Fry, year two. Um, this will be – this is what he's paid to do because, as we've touched on – I think we touched on it last week. You lost Paris Johnson, your left tackle. Dewan Jones, your right tackle, who has just blown people away at the Senior Bowl this week. And you lost Luke Whipler, who Ryan Dave admitted was a little bit of a surprise that he left when he did um, at center. So you've got to replace those guys. You do get Matthew Jones back, Donovan Jackson's back. And Ryan Day said he expects Matthew Jones and Donovan Jackson to remain at the guard positions. He also hinted that they will do some interesting things during spring practice with the offensive line, which he didn't want to go into details with yet, but it, I'll be interested to see. It sounds like they're going to move guys around um, and and try some different things. I don't know. We, we've seen some experimenting, so to speak, with uh, with that in the past, like Fair Munford moving from tackle to guard. I, I was not a fan of that. So we'll see what they do. I think this is the time to experiment if your high state is, is during spring practice. But it'll be interesting to see. I've always been under the impression that Josh Fryer – who was kind of the sixth man of the offensive line, got one start against Indiana this year, would be a right tackle. Sounds like the Buckeyes are comfortable moving him to left tackle. Um, they they are going, as I mentioned, experiment with a, a number of different guys. Carson Hinsman is a guy that it sounds like we should be talking about more. He will be in his second year in the program, a potential starter at center. But Ryan Day also mentioned Victor Cutler, the transfer um, who w- was playing in the Sun Belt, who, my understanding was this is a guy who's going to come in, add some depth, try and work his way into a bigger role later. He may be in the mix at center. Now, you won't have Jacob James, who everyone kind of penciled in as the starter. Uh, he's out for spring practice, but this will give these guys time to test out this offensive line group and, and see you know, who can fit in where. You'll be able to add Jacob James back afterwards and see where he fits after the spring. Um, but that will be a crucial thing to watch. You know, yeah, there's the quarterback battle and there's a lot of things in the secondary that'll be crucial to watch. I'm very interested in that on the offensive line, where guys are, who's standing out, those type of things, because especially when you're breaking in a brand new quarterback, having an offensive line that is cohesive and effective is going to be very important. Uh, the other thing I wrote about this, there are eight players that are injured that will miss spring practice. Um, And I think a lot of people immediately react to that in a negative way. And those eight players, Julian Fleming, Emeka Buka, Travion Henderson, Evan Pryor, uh, Jacob James, who I mentioned already. Uh, I don't have the list in front of me. Uh, Tommy Eichenberg. I'll think of the other two as we talk, but um, look, I wouldn't, and and you can read about them on, on Bucknuts. um, I wouldn't react too negatively to those guys being out. And I know there were a lot of injuries this past year that uh, that you could argue really affected Ohio State's season. But look, in spring practice, they, they are often guys who have procedures done after the season or guys that they're being careful with, especially guys coming back from injuries. Mitchell Melton, that's another one. Um, like Mitchell Melton, who got hurt in the spring game last year, ACL. Evan Pryor, who got hurt in the preseason, uh, also an ACL. Both those guys probably could practice in some capacity, but you don't want to risk a further injury for them. Uh, I think you'll probably see, and Ryan Day said there could be other guys added to this list. I think you'll probably see a number of the veteran guys sit out a lot of stuff. They'll do some things, but like, you know, I wouldn't expect guys who have played a lot or played a lot last year to have a big role in spring, in the spring game, those type of things. Uh, This will be a bigger spring for those position battles that we've talked about, but also some of those younger guys, like a, a CJ Hicks, former five-star linebacker, just finished his freshman year. What does he do with Tommy Eichenberg not out? Like Steel Chambers probably won't get a ton of reps. He doesn't need it. He's been a starting linebacker for two years. What, is, what does CJ Hicks do with that opportunity? Can he find his role that will eventually be his own? For example, I think there's a number of guys you could talk to, you know, with, with Emeka Buka and Julia Fleming out, where do the young receivers fit in? Again, Marvin Harrison, probably a guy who's not going to do much. With Jacob James out, Carson Hinsman, is he ready to be your starting center right now? Or is he a guy that you can get ready this spring, but maybe doesn't start this year as a true sophomore? Uh, there, there's a lot of these positions that I think will 
you'll see a lot of young guys. You'll hear about a lot of young guys getting reps at these positions, be it injury or just guys taking it easy, so to speak, in spring um, that, that will be important for Ohio State. Maybe not next year. Maybe next year, depending on how they do how they play. But uh, going forward, this is this is big opportunity for a lot of those guys. So I wouldn't be too concerned that eight plus guys are are going to sit out the spring for the Buckeyes. This is pretty normal, and uh, you know, not always is it announced ahead of time. But I think you know Ryan Day wanted to get ahead of this. It sounded like these guys all had some type of procedures going on. If you really think it through, you know, a a, a Buka mentioned during the season he was battling some stuff the second half of the year. Tommy Eichenberg broken bones in both hands. I mean, all the, almost all these guys were dealing with something during the year. It's not surprising that, that, that they're going to take it easy because most of them have, have played a lot of football. Court Williams, that's the other guy who was out, and, and he was out pretty much the entire second half of the season. So not surprising, I don't think, if, if you're paying attention. And, and I don't think this will be a major setback for especially those guys that have seen a lot of football. All right, we're going to wrap it up. This was a – hour and five minutes plus of the Bucknuts happy hour. So I don't know if this is our longest episode yet, but it's certainly up there. Thank you to Dave. Thank you to Tim Hall from 97.1 fan. We got a good enough Buckeye hoops talk in. I think we, we hit on a lot of stuff from the interviews with Ohio state's coaching staff on Wednesday. We didn't hit on everything. There will be, you know, Dave will talk about more. Dave and Jay book will talk more about that stuff on Friday's BM five. We'll talk about more stuff next week. So plenty out there. As I said, there's already plenty of content on Bucknuts from those interviews. We'll have plenty more. If you want to watch those videos, I posted a link on Bucknuts that has all the videos embedded into it last night, but they're all also on our YouTube page. If you want to check those out, if you like this show, please like subscribe, all that stuff on, on whatever platform you use to listen slash watch. Uh, if you, like what I do, and uh, I hope you do if you're watching this, listening to it. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore Pat underscore Murphy, Instagram at underscore Pat underscore Murphy underscore, three underscores on that one. Trying to do more with Instagram um, in case Twitter shuts down. But anyway, another episode of the Bucknuts Happy Hour in the book. We will talk to you guys next week. Thank you all, and cheers. Bye.